Refresh Franchising, the heroic choice for entrepreneurs. Proud sponsor of the Distilled Wisdom Podcast. There are a lot of people who are leaving jobs because they're just, they're disenchanted with, you know, where they are. If you want to franchise and you can be a part of something in your community that you can make an impact, you know, that's rewarding. That that goes beyond just a paycheck. Gonna be a Today, we're adding some spicy pepperoni to the show. Our guest is CEO of Donato's Pizza, one of the largest pizza chains in America with over 500 locations and system-wide revenues exceeding $300 million. Learn what it takes to lead this massive operation directly from Donato's CEO, Tom Krause. Donato's? Donato's? Donato's. All right, so we'll make a joke out of this. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying Donato's for some reason today. So It's because you haven't had enough Donato's. That's why. That's probably so let's get a pizza in you real quick, and it'll be all fine. Definitely. No worries. <laughs> How many pepperonis on, on your pizza over here? Well, every large pepperoni pizza has over 100 pieces of pepperoni. That's an insane amount of pepperoni. I know, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, people don't count it one by one. By. We weigh all of our toppings so that, and we know how much each pepperoni weighs. So by the time you hit the weight, it's at least a hundred pepperonis. That is fantastic. So I, I've, I've actually was, I'm here two days and I spent the day yesterday a little bit with Tom's team and had the opportunity to tour the manufacturing plant and the quality standards here are absolutely insane. Yeah, they are. My uh, my father-in-law started the company 60-some years ago, and he is a fanatic about quality. <laughs> so I think you probably saw that in the dough facility. Yeah, so uh, for I, I don't have any footage of this, but they have a drying facility that um, is, what, like five stories tall? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something with the yeast. You could probably... So... We started actually mixing dough 60 years ago in the restaurant and, you know, which is, is great. And I'm not knock, knocking that idea. The, pr- the problem is when you have more than one location, you have different types of water, you have different elevations, you've got, you know, yeast is a very finicky thing. So we, over time, have decided let's control that part of the process. So let's, why don't we mix the dough We'll sheet the dough. And then what you saw yesterday was the proofing facility, which um, it basically proofs for about an hour, you know, about 90 degrees, 90 percent. smells incredible. Isn't that great? (laughs) Makes you hungry. Yeah. It it brought me back to my childhood when my dad would make bread in the house. Yeah, right. Just nostalgic walking in there. It it is not easy to keep the weight off here. I can tell you that. When you you smell that, it's like, oh, boy. I I definitely believe it. So, Tom, the idea of the show is to get a feel for you as an individual and kind of learn a little bit about your background. Would you mind telling me a little bit about, like, where you grew up? And you know. Sure. Um, I was born in Bowling Green, Ohio. We moved to Columbus when I was a little kid. My dad uh, ended up working for Ohio State. He worked for the uh, – was actually the assistant to the president. There was uh, one vice president, and that was my dad. Now there's like 400 of them. But uh, it's interesting in the college space. Right? Exactly. It's more administrators than teachers. Lately. It's different. It's different. But we moved here back uh, uh, many years ago. Uh, I grew up here. I ended up going to Ohio State, uh, majored in uh, business administration with an emphasis on marketing. So I, I really, first part of my career uh, was 
pretty much marketing, advertising. Um, after- did, did you pick that major uh, based on anything specific, or were you like most college kids and it's like, it just makes sense? To- well, you know, actually, when you hear how people make that decision, it's always kind of funny now. But now, originally, I had intended on being a teacher. I wanted, in fact, I, I still enjoy that part of my job today. I, I, I like working with people and, you know, teaching concepts and things like that. So anyway, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. So midway through school at Ohio State, I decided to look at a survey of salaries for teachers. And I went, oh, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, you do get part of the year off. I mean, that's true, but I, I, I like to work. So I didn't, I wasn't looking for that, but, uh, but I did, you know, I was fascinated with communications and which is, you know, similar to education. How do you, how do you engage someone else? How do you influence them to act, you know, and, and with education, obviously it's to develop young people and, and, business, it's, you know, how do you stimulate commerce? And so I, I quickly got into advertising and marketing and I, I took a bit of a creative path at Ohio state also kind of made my own major. So I was doing journalism and photography and film and things like that. So I kind of saw the art. So that's how I was able to get you on the podcast. Now I get it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I like to talk. Yeah, yeah. You like the, the you know the creative side of it. No, I, I do. I'm I'm fascinated with communications and vocabulary and things like that. So, so anyway, that that was really um, what drove that. And then, honestly, you know, when I graduated from high state, I thought, like a lot of young people, I'm getting out of this town. You know, I'm busting out. I'm going to go. I, mean, I sent my resume to hundreds of places all over the country and actually internationally too. And my first bite was right here in Columbus. So I ended up working for an ad agency in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, what did you do for the ad agency? I was an account executive for probably a, a junior assistant to the assistant account executive. Nice. Uh, but I worked on um, a little bit of food business. We had a we had a couple of accounts uh, that were in the food space. So that's when I started getting into, you know, restaurant side. Uh, we also did the travel and tourism. That, Ohio, the heart of it all, that ad campaign, which they brought back. That was something that I worked on. I don't know. How many years ago is this now? 40? Uh, something like that. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so, yeah. So. And then, you know, I worked there for a few years. I met a guy who was a bit of my mentor at the time, and uh, he wanted to start an, our own agency, and he wanted me to be a part of it. So I'm, I'm like super young. I was 24, I think, and he asked me to be a part of this small ad agency. And That's an incredible opportunity at 24. It was pretty cool, you know, much like a lot of things. I wasn't really planning my life out that much. It was like, okay, you know, well, let's work hard, get some business. Uh, of course, I had to have my name in the, you know, in the company, Daily Lewis and Krauss. I had to have yeah. my name in there. But, you know, and so that little ad firm, well, it was more public relations, but we ended up doing a lot of work in the restaurant space. And eventually we got the account uh for McDonald's local co-op in Columbus, Ohio. And we were the only market 
where McDonald's hired a separate PR firm just to do PR. They normally gave that to the, you know, the marketing agency. So you right? had what the Columbus area? Then? We started with just the Columbus area and it, their intent was in Wendy's backyard to get as much PR and was Wendy's based here? Wendy's is based in Columbus. I, see, I wasn't even aware. Yeah. That would, yeah. that would make sense why there were so many Wendy's people yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Wendy's is, I mean, there are a lot of great restaurant companies that are headquartered here, but Wendy's started here. I actually went to high school with Wendy. Really? Back in the day. Yeah. I, any stories there? Were you guys in the same circles or? Uh, not really. She was a little younger than me. I think maybe a couple years younger than me. Yeah. So, but I've gotten to know her real well. She's she's an awesome person. Well, I know we're kind of skipping ahead, but you, you worked with Wendy's Corp for a while. Right? I did. That's kind of the ironic part. Uh, so, you know, we start this firm and we're just scrappers. You know, you're a scrapper. It's like yeah. we, you know, we took this account, got paid nothing. I don't even remember what we got paid, but it wasn't much. And, but we were given this challenge, like, get PR for McDonald's in Wendy's home market. Like, bring it on. So we did all sorts of kind of stunt-type stuff. We had okay. – we did a – they introduced salads, and so we had a uh, – held a major wedding on the Oval at Ohio State's campus, uh, and it was tended by hundreds of people. Whose wedding? Uh, the salad dressing and the salad. They were – they got married. Oh, wait, so – yeah, <laughs> okay. I I didn't dress up as either, but we had a, someone in a costume for a salad dressing yeah. model, and somebody as a as a salad. And we held this big wedding, and I, I mean, it was just those were the days where you just did kind of. Is there footage available of this? Gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe, probably. All right, I'm gonna have to scour. You might have to scour to find those. Uh, of course, in my mind, it's it's bigger than it. You'll probably find it to be. But <laughs> right. That's how stories go, right? Yeah. But anyway, that and and just a lot of other things. We we got a lot of traction. So, funny thing, after that, we started getting some other business, and we're picking up accounts quickly. Uh, one's a rust proofing company. One's a leasing company. One's a shoe store. You know, we're like, wow, this is it's amazing. Later, we go back and we're looking into some of the ownership structures of these accounts that we picked up. Mm-hmm. And we find that Dave Thomas was an investor, in some cases, a majority investor in all of them. Okay. So, like, what's that all about? Did, well, was Wendy's hooking you up and behind the scenes here? Well, no, Dave, <laughs> as a classic entrepreneur, was going to take care of three problems at once because he was angling to buy us. Okay, you know, not that we were any big deal; we were just a pain in the butt. Uh, so I mean, Wendy's. I mean, if you have Wendy's looking at buying you, you're doing something right. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Citizens of distilled wisdom, gather around and listen up. If you're a fan of the show and want to join forces with its host, Adam Farrakane, then Refresh Franchising is the perfect choice for you. So gather your courage, summon your inner superhero, and visit RefreshFranchising.com to launch your heroic franchise journey. Refresh Franchising, the heroic choice for entrepreneurs. Proud sponsor of the Distilled Wisdom Podcast. Yeah, I mean, he wanted to, he wanted to take us out, number one. And Wendy was graduating from University of Florida with a marketing degree. Okay. So I think he was going to buy us out, put her in charge, take care of all of his problems at once. 
So smart didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. Probably should have, but you know, our, of course, our egos were. You know, we want to oh, see this. We're going to make it through. a multi-billion dollar. Exactly. Letting go. Yeah, well, we were short of a few hundred million yeah. on that, but. <laughs> But, you know, we worked hard and we we did some good work and I learned so much just about, you know, hustling, really, because we didn't. Eventually, the the agency broke up. My my partner, who was the lead guy, was uh, he was kind of going through some things in his life. So he, he was a bit scattered. We had no business plan. I mean, I think about this today. Not, I mean, not even. We hardly even sat down to say, what do we want to be doing? We just got business, did the work. It grew, grew, you know. There's so many that start like that. But, like, you know, I honestly, when I started mine, I kind of, my business plan was some scribbles in a notebook. Yeah. It was probably more about passion Um, for you, right? Well, I had a pretty good idea what I was going to do. What you were going to do. So this story is not about me, but my mentor, you know, I already built the company once for somebody else. Okay. So I already had it up. So you kind of knew. Yeah. But it, it's funny how you, you looking back, like I have friends right now that are trying to go into business for themselves. And that's one of the first things I tell them is to make a business plan. And right. They, they all, they discount how important that is. I, I hear you. I do the same thing. You know, somebody comes and asks me for advice and I say, well, let's get a spreadsheet out. Let's make some assumptions on your revenue and what's your expense. And then, you know, do a high, medium, low, and they just don't want to do it. Or market <laughs> testing their idea. You know, sometimes they'll bring in yeah. an idea, and it's. I think it's. I think it's enthusiasm that turns into impatience. Right. You know, which you can't discount it because, you know, a lot of people maybe don't have that kind of passion. So having that passion is super important. But so that was, you know, that's kind of where we were. I was starting to grow up in and wanting something that had a little more structure to it. It was a bit, you know, chaotic. And so I ended up leaving, we ended up dissolving the agency and then I had my own little firm for a little while. And then I ended up working for a small, a small firm. Did you you leave with something in place? Uh, Like, did you know where you were going or was it just a falling partnership? No, it wasn't anything bad. It was just, you know, he, he he had he was moving on to do some other things and and so and I thought you know I can hustle for a while so I, so I set up my own shop and Tom okay. Krause Communications there you, go. Uh, you know I had a just a smaller version of the same hustle sure. you know I had a you know cell phone company I had a a, a print shop I had a cable company you know I had all this these little businesses that were. All of them had funny stories associated with it. It's funny when you look at somebody successful, right? And then you start looking at the past and there's always a stack of other, you know, other careers and different jobs before it. For sure. You know, there's that pile of attempts at different things until they find the thing that just clicks with them. Well, you know, and you go back and you say, man, I I think I, the things that I am good at now, I look back and I go, it's, it's kind of started in some of these things you know like i i i think i'm fairly good at selling and you know selling ideas and things like that and back in that those days at tom kraus communications i had a guy he wanted to he was an investor in the cell phone company but he he wasn't active but he it was his money and he wanted a new logo so i developed 
this new logo. And I called him and said, I want to show it to you. He goes, well, I don't, I don't really have time. Um, can you just describe it to me? <laughs> logo. So I said, well, the first thing I want to tell you is it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and here's how it looks. And here's what it says. And here's what it says about you. Like, I'm hearing myself go, yeah. wow. And I sold it to him. I sold him a logo over the phone that he didn't see. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it was so it was a it was a fun time. It was a little nerve wracking too, because sure. I mean, you know, you don't. You're, it's a scary, scary thing going on your own. Yeah, you got to pay your rent and yeah. you know take care of people and things like that. Payroll shows up and you, oops, uh, hold on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was probably the most stressful thing at at the the firm that we had is because we had started to build a staff and and you know I described this a little more of a not chaotic but not a very strategic you know kind of structure. So if you don't have a very strategic structure. But you've got all these responsibilities and, and payroll. That's you know they're counting on you. Yeah, that's that's uh, stressful. I, I don't think I realized how stressed I was until I look back today on that kind of thing. But so looking at it from a franchise lens today, and the importance we put on you know uh, structure, systems, processes. I, if I knew what I knew then, you know, oh, I know, it'd be so much further. You know, my father-in-law started the company. He says that all the time now. I mean, he was the same. I mean, he was, he just hustled and he, but he didn't, you know, he says he didn't ask for help as much from others or, you know, he didn't join other associations. It's like, it was just head down. Right. I mean, he had, he definitely knew what he was doing, but he, he says that often. He goes, if I, if I, I wish I would have done more of that to, to build more. It's hard, you know. Entrepreneurs tend to be prideful. Yeah, probably. Hard-headed. You know, they they have their vision in their head, and taking outside opinions isn't usually part of that. It's, I think, probably one of the larger obstacles for any entrepreneur. Well, those are your words, not mine, Adam. Yeah. My father-in-law, on the other hand, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you you. You're now out on your own. So now I'm out on my own. But yeah, realizing this is probably a kind of a a gap. They've just gone through the Where's the Beef ad campaign. I remember and, that well. And that was for that company, that was I want to say lightning in a bottle. I'm not saying it wasn't strategic and I'm not saying but I mean it was way beyond what I think anybody ever thought. Which was great for them. The problem was, you know, kind of the hangover afterwards. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the things that you thought were going to work didn't work for them. And so they, they struggled, uh, you know, in the late eighties and their, their stock got down to an all time low, like four bucks, I want to say. And what would you say was their biggest hang up? Like what was holding them back? Because, I mean, Wendy's has always been for fast food. I mean, it's been good fast food. I think they had a a few missteps. You know, they introduced a breakfast program that was not uh, in alignment with the way customers were heading. Okay. You know, they they introduced a whole, you know, made-to-order omelets and a lot of sit-down, you know, great quality, great products. But, you know, the market was looking for convenient quick drive through that kind of a thing. So I think they had a few moments uh, where 
they weren't really listening to the customer as much. They were maybe listening to their own internal. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I think they, they were missing the operations focus that they needed. You know, Dave stepped away for a while and during that time. And then, so, so they, they fired their national ad agency. Um, they brought Dave back into the company or Dave came back into the company. Still, he was a majority shareholder at the time, but he came back and brought uh, an operations guy in Jim near who was, uh, you know, loved by the franchise system and, and was an operations focused guy. I was hired by uh, a gentleman who had a, uh, a small marketing firm that serviced uh, Wendy's. Okay. In Columbus. And, and he ended up being my mentor. He ended up being the CMO uh, for Wendy's. And he was the the creator of the Dave Thomas ad campaign and all of that. But he started with this. Talk about Were scrapping. around when they created that campaign? Oh, yeah. No, I was, a part, I was a part of it. I, you know, I got to go with Dave on uh, commercial shoots. You know, one of my jobs was to go on the shoots and be there and. You know, one time we're in New York and was, was it hard to convince him? Cause I know a lot of times founders are behind the scenes, right? Like, he wasn't wild about it. And the first shot out of the, out of the gate was not very good. Cause you know, he was sitting there in his white short sleeve shirt and tie and you know, robotic kind of robotic. Yeah. And he got absolutely panned by the trade press. I mean, at age, I still remember a guy named Bob Garfield was the the writer, and he he called Dave a steer in a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> it's like ouch. <laughs> and then we brought in this new creative team from the ad agency, and they said, "Let's make Dave just a more interesting version of himself. Just let him be himself." But that's when they started, you know, Dave and all these interesting situations. So at first they were trying to like script him out. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's not an actor. No, no, <laughs> clearly not. Clearly not. Uh, but he was, he was an amazing, amazing. I mean, I've, I've been. He or, seems so wholesome, right? You see the, you see the. He really is. Those old ones. And I, he struck me as that type of person where you could just like have a genuine sit down conversation like we're having now. Right. And it would be very relaxed and he just seemed like a genuine person. He was a genuine person. He, he was, uh, you know, he wasn't super sophisticated, like his language or how he, you know, how he talked or things like that. And some people would misjudge that because he was the, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he, he understood people like nobody else. I mean, he, he could go into a room and he could figure out who's doing what and who's doing the right things and who's not. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty amazing, you know, and, but he just had that kind of deadpan face. So nobody realized yeah. he was really kind of working through the whole thing. So sounds like you have a lot of admiration for him. I really do. That's I really awesome. do. Yeah, so I I worked for Charlie Rath was uh my mentor who had so he had his little agency did everything that the New York agency didn't want to do, like the you know, the posters in the windows or the you know, the price pointed tag at the end of the commercial. I mean, there was a lot of work and he's like, I I'll 
you know, we'll have a little agency and we'll, we'll take all that work. And so I worked for him in that little agency. Eventually, um, he sold his agency, was hired as the CMO, and I ended up working for the agency that he sold his firm to, which was at the national firm called Backer and Spielvogel at the time. Big, okay. big New York firm. Bill Backer had was the creator of uh, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, the Coke ad campaign. His name rings a bell. He was he he did taste great, less filling. I mean, he was okay. he was the probably the creative genius on Madison Avenue for years. And uh, he and Carl Spielvogel had this you know great ad agency. So anyway, I ended up working for that ad agency, but I stayed here in Columbus. So because they needed you know, account people that were working with the client and yeah, I didn't have to fly in all the time. So, so I worked on that for a while and then uh, they, Wendy's recruited me over to work in their marketing department. So I started, this would have been probably 40 years ago. Well, less, less than that. 35 years ago, I started in the marketing department at Wendy's and I, I was you were a senior VP, right? Eventually I was vice president of marketing when I okay. left there. Yeah. But I started as assistant new product marketing manager. Okay. And damn good at it. <laughs> I, dude, market, without marketing, we all die, right? That, yeah. That's one of the more crucial parts of any business. No, I, and I think having experience and understanding how to market a quality brand, because, you know, if you don't have a, a niche that's clearly defined, like a, a premium product in a broad category, the marketing tactics you use are, they're not very sophisticated in my, in my opinion. They tend to be like price tactics sure. or, or uh, you know, just kind of straightforward uh, communications. But when you've got a, a brand like Wendy's within the burger or Donato's within a $50 billion category, you got to really think about how do I leverage the quality? Cause people are paying more for it. Same, same thing at Wendy's. In fact, you know, one of the reasons I, I took the leap from Wendy's to Donato's is it's a very similar uh, challenge. It's a, it's a big category. We're not number one. We've got a quality position. We've got a value perception problem because people know that it costs more. Right. You know, so how do I get people to feel this is as much pepperonis on your pizza. It's going to cost that helps. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but right. But then we've got to, you know, it's, it's up to us to make sure people feel good about that. Yeah. You know, so, and I don't think we're done with a challenge. I mean, we're still, we're still trying to. Well, you're make making headway. Work. I mean, uh, Donetto's has, uh, how many did you say? 500? We're close to 500 uh, total locations. Uh, we have a partnership with Red Robins. So we're in over 250 of the Red Robins, and then we have a couple hundred uh, standard. So I read an article uh -huh. preparing for the interview, and it, you got hammered during COVID with that Red Robin deal for a little while, right? Like, didn't it kind of pause it for a while, and now you guys just got back to Yeah. It? Yeah. They, uh, they were on a roll. So... You know, casual dining 
you know, the last 10 years has, you know, struggled a little bit because fast casual made so much headway. And then, you know, what's their position between fast casual and upscale? So, so Red Robin was looking for a way to expand their business and get into off premise. Like this is before COVID. Sure. And, um, so we just got started with our partnership. We started rolling them out and then COVID hit and, you know, including us, you know, a large majority of their sales are still dine in. So they just got, they hammered, they got, yeah, they had to pause. And, and so now we're back to reintroducing and, you know, from what you were saying yesterday, it sounds like it's going very well. It's going great. It's it's a real, and it's cliche, but it is a win-win. You know, they're looking for a quality, uh, a product that's, you know, consistent with families. It builds their average check because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. So how's that work in a, in a Red Robin then? So. And just like just a menu item or it's just on the menu. It's on the menu. Okay. Now we, we, we market it as a, as an app or shareable or, you know, an entree. So, okay. but you know, it's, it works for a lot of occasions and then the off-premise side is significant. And so, so for them, it's adding a component that reinforces their strategy. And for us, it's allowing us to expand. And I, I, I you know, when we, started with Red Robin, it was at a time where our our challenge at Donato's was we have always kind of been a regional brand. And we're a regional brand in large part because our ingredients, which are the highest quality, but many, if not most of them, are customized to us. And that's... Hey, you're logistically heavy. I could tell yesterday. That's a challenge. Right. You know, you can't... You know, you can't just open a pizza shop in Reno, Nevada, and say, "Hey, send me some pepperoni and cheese." And I'm in right. business. You know, we have a we have unique ingredients, so you can't get distribution. So, what Red Robin did for us is our ingredients used to be in like I think seven distribution centers in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and now we're in 26 distribution centers all over the country. So, for the first time ever, we're allowed to franchise uh, nationally. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So that's that's the win part for us. And they're a great partner. Uh, their culture is, and even though they're a public company, their culture is a very consistent with ours. Uh, you know, they're, they're store-level people. Um, they've got rituals that are similar to ours. You know, we start every meeting with something we call promise and action. They start every meeting with burger stories where you, you're recognizing people. It's kind of freaky how similar the cultures are. And so, and they have reverence for our product and they, they do a great job with uh, the preparation and serving the product. So we're just kind of anxious to, you know, get the whole rollout finished. Speaking of some rituals, I really appreciate the little token that I got yesterday. Oh, good. Very cool. Would you want to tell the audience a little bit? Sure. Sure. Um, So, Maybe just a brief history. Sure. Donato's started. My father-in-law um, was 19 years old. He was taking accounting classes at Ohio State. Uh, the business school, were, they, 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 they gave him a definition that the, the sole purpose of business is to, is to 
uh, generate profit. And that kind of stuck in his craw because he's like, that's the sole purpose is just to generate profit. Because as a 13-year-old, he worked in a little pizza shop, and he was learning. He had two owners that uh, were very different. One was a super friendly guy who took care of customers and his people. The other one was just reserved and a bit of a bean counter. He'd water down the sauce to get a few more pizzas made that night. And These things where Jim would look at it and go, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm buying into that. And sure enough, this, the nights when the one gentleman worked, sales weren't that great. And the nights when the first gentleman worked, sales were good. So I tell the story because he started this philosophy that is treat people the way you want to be treated, and that is good for business. And that that really is and, – and it's stuck in his craw. You know, the sole purpose of business is not just to generate profit. You can have an impact on other people. You know, so provide value in mind. Provide value, make somebody's day a little bit better. Profit's a component of it, but uh, the, the money portion is just a resource. Exactly. Exactly. Money is the engine that helps fuel your mission. And if your mission is to make an impact on people. So so anyway, for his whole life, he's he's been always been passionate about that concept. And that's, you know, the there are a lot of things that and, and we're not perfect by any means. In fact, we fall down a lot, but we don't drop the standards. And and that's what he really drove uh, to all of us. And so he's now 80 years old and he's, he's still very active, uh, but he's coined this phrase called agape capitalism. So, and that's doing business with love. Agape is a Greek for the truest form of love, unconditional yeah. love. And so, so this idea of doing business with love, which, you know, when he was, is he Greek? He's not. Okay. okay. He's he's German. Just, he's he's uh, super educated though. Very uh, well read. Very philosophical. I was going to say uh, philosophy. A lot of a lot of classic philosophy because it's Greek. Yeah, he's uh, he's a student of many things. Philosophy is one of them. He's a futurist. He's uh, he brings ideas to us way before the market sees them. He he's pretty incredible. But he's on this path uh, with uh, this idea of agape capitalism. So he, he has this little coin. Mm -hmm. I wish I had one to show. It's, I, I didn't bring mine. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm keeping it, though. Oh, yeah. I thought that was so cool. It says. Uh, I could put a picture of it on the screen for anybody. That'd be great. Visually. It says, you know, uh, treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh you know, or the golden rule, actually, it says lead with love. And if you do those two things, you'll do the right thing, which is the last thing on there. So it's just a, a reminder for all of us that, you know, you get grinding in business and you have to make a lot of decisions. And sometimes the most efficient decision is not the most effective decision. You might, well, this will cost me a little bit, but it, I really think maybe the right thing to do would be to, you know, give up on that or throw the product away because it's it's technically it's good, but really it's probably not what we want. It, it's those or or how you deal with uh, letting somebody go in your company, you know, all those kinds of things. You know, if you are guided by the golden rule, it slows you down. So don't be Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great companies that are public companies, but don't be the the, the ugly 
version of Wall Street for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, I think, one of the things that I discovered coming to this company from Wendy's. I, I, I don't think I real I, I understood the quality brand, which I, I think I mentioned was one of the reasons mm-hmm. I came. But then I fell in love with the company. And then after that, I fell in love with the founder's daughter. So uh, <laughs> we, I mean, that my wife marries you to the company. It, it pretty much does. Yeah. Both figuratively and, and very specifically, I am married to the company for sure. <laughs> but she's, uh, she's amazing. And she's, this is the only place she's ever worked since she was 11 years old. Now, was she the one that did the undercover boss? She did. Okay. That was her. That was her. So I, again, research. So I, I had to watch that episode. I, it's still it it's still one of their most highly rated uh, episodes, uh, and those who haven't seen it, it, you know, the ending is pretty interesting. <laughs> so any listeners out there, I encourage you to go watch that episode. It was a very good episode. Yeah, and uh, I was behind the scenes. She wanted they they could uh, you could bring one person along the journey, and so she oh, so you wanted got to hang out. On it? Got to, yeah, yeah. I, I saw everything. Because she was on this side of the camera, so I saw everything that was starting to develop, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy!" But you know, it was a great experience. Well, how does that work? If you so, if she's undercover, and then you're there too, you're both prominent in the company, right? I'm I'm in the trailer. Oh, okay. So you're watching, and, and they think they they make up this fake reality show, yeah, so that the people in the restaurant. They know, she, got, she got noticed at one of the locations. She got noticed at more than one, yeah. but that none of those didn't make the the final cut. But they 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 do a pretty good head fake on it. So, gotcha. but yeah, it was. But you know, we got to meet some people deep into the company that we hadn't met before. Some people that had some you know difficult stories that we were able to help them out with, and you know, we still are in contact with most of them today. So it was it was a blessing. What would you advise to an entrepreneur, right? And when they get to that level, like, so you obviously can't have one-on-one relationships with everybody in your company. I mean, how many people system-wide, right? We have about 6,000 people system-wide. Right. So it's almost impossible to maintain a direct connection with all 6,000 people. Yeah. How do you handle that and make sure that things are, like, undercover boss is one way. That was one way to find out, you know, what's going on in the company and the internals, but... Uh, what are some other things that you know? Recommend? You know, I, I, I'll answer it generally and then specifically. Generally, I think um, I say don't give up on the idea that you can still keep a personal relationship. Now, numbers wise, you can't for sure, but um, don't think, well, we're too big; it doesn't make any sense um, because there are ways to handle it. In fact. Right now, Jane um, is she's made a concerted effort and is scheduling out to be able to visit stores, and she's she's hitting a lot, if not all of the stores, you know, and that that's really impactful to some people. And and then the way that she carries herself, and all of us, but in her case, the way she carries herself when she's in the store, she's she's not going straight to the back and checking the cooler temperatures and. You know, looking at the spec on the dough, and is that right? It's going right in and talk to the people. And who are you and how are you? And, you know, that that tone, I think, also spreads. And, and it's one of those things where you may not be able to talk to all 6,000 people, but 
hopefully a majority of the 6,000 people. And their local leadership, hopefully. Exactly. And they've heard, well, that was the other thing I was going to say is I think our franchise partners who run those markets, we make sure we have a, a close relationship with them and they understand. So those are, that's a general, you know, and and I say just don't give up on it. Let's not you know don't give up on the fact. Well, it's not possible. I mean, don't give. Up. And then you know communications today with you know web webinars and during COVID, Jane and I did videos. I want to say it was every week, and and I wrote them or she wrote them. I mean, it wasn't like you know we hired some PR firm to write them and. And half the time we said, we don't really know everything that's going on. I mean, because nobody here's did. What here's what we do know. Here's what we don't know. But here's, here's you know, just some sense of reassurance and things like that. You know, uh, I mean, COVID was an example of. And there are other examples when there's tragedy within our family, like show up, show up. You posted something on LinkedIn the other day, actually, and you were talking about, uh, a true leader admitting when they're wrong and how that is going to translate better to your staff than anything than trying to cover it up and, you know, walking away from it. And you said you actually did that at one point in your role as CEO here. Yeah, I I do it a lot. (laughs) Screw up a lot. (laughs) Oh, we all do. (laughs) But you know, the one that, that I think of the most was, so I, I came to Donato's 23 years ago to lead the marketing function. So we were owned by McDonald's at the time. Mm -hmm. So McDonald's bought Donato's back in 99. They bought Chipotle, Boston Market. They were going to be kind of a... a, short-lived, right? I think Four years. years. Uh, And, you know, their stock had dropped during that time period. It had nothing to do with us or the other brands, but they said, you know, change strategy and... We, the family, ended up buying the company back, which is, you know, a great story. But anyway, when I came over, it was, you know, we had all sorts of people, a lot of people. And, you know, there was a bit of bravado from McDonald's standpoint that, you know, we're going to turn this thing and, you know, you know, watch out. We'll have 3,000 locations in three years. It it was just a a bit of a kind of tone that... uh, and so I was the last one of the leadership team in, and we were moving fast. And so I changed our ad agency. I moved, you know, you want me to move fast? I'll move fast. We changed our ad agency. We, we changed the ad campaign. We did all this, and, and it didn't work. So a year later, my boss asked me to present to the franchise system about what it's like to be a big brand and all this kind of strategic, you know, chest puffing kind of, but, you know, academic and, you know, let me, it it would, it felt, and I wrote the presentation, it it felt a little condescending even like, you know, and and they're sitting there and their sales are down because of me. Mm -hmm. So I honestly, right before I, I was going to click and get into the presentation, I just stopped and I, 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 I used a bad word, but I said I, I effed up and I apologize. And for years, P 
people loved me about that. They were like, and I'm like, can I be known for something else aside from that? But it made an impact to them that I I was able to. It's a wonderful thing to be known for. I think it's hard for a lot of leaders to, and, and, and I'm not, you know, just because I have that story doesn't mean I'm, I'm good at it all the time, but I think the power of showing your vulnerability and saying, you know, I, I screwed up on that. I think many leaders are afraid to show that. Because they're afraid that people won't want to follow them if they're not, you know, some perfect version of a leader. You know, it's it doesn't. I, I think sense. most people are pretty understanding, and yeah, you know, they are, especially in franchising. These are people that are assuming risk, and they understand that going in. So, yeah, it's just, but you can, you, you know, when you think about it, you can add it up as to lost money out of their pockets because of you, you know, but. uh but you know but it's hard to get mad. They hear. I, I don't know. I guess a good example would be you know uh, a child that messes up, right? I was just going to say it, the parent doesn't stay mad at them. Generally, I was, they're honest about it. I was just going to say. I think with parenting and with relationships, I mean, yeah, you, know, you get into uh, conflict with your spouse, and you know, you everybody's defending each other, and as soon as somebody lets down, you know, says, you know, I messed up, it just everything settles back down. That's how you build trust. So I think in an organization, mostly that's how you build trust is, is just being honest with people. Yeah. You know, not always easy, but. Ah, I love that. I absolutely yeah. do. Yeah, appreciate it. So where'd we leave off really with your journey? I mean, I, how did, how did you get from Wendy's over to Donato's? That- yeah. So I was at Donato's. So yeah. I keep doing it. I know. What are we going to do about that? I, I, don't worry. I'm going to throw it really it. big on the screen and we're going to do, <laughs> we'll bring in the AI announcement person. There you go. <laughs> throw it up there. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I was vice president marketing at Wendy's and my career was going great. And, and actually I was kind of on a fast track, uh, to potentially be the CMO. Um, and then, Donato's reached out to me. Actually, somebody that I had worked with at Wendy's had gone over to Donato's and they reached out. This is after McDonald's had bought Donato's and they were building their team and all that. And I was super happy. Uh, but my boss was only about five years older than me, I want to say. So I thought, ah, this may take a long time. And and the more I kind of learned about the company, I, I decided to make the decision. So Clearly, I was going from a company I loved to a company that I ended up loving. So, you know, there was nothing that I was running from at all. In fact, you know, the first couple of years were hard here. Donato's, I'm like, well, that makes spoiled milk in the transition. Um, my boss at Wendy's wasn't real happy that I left because I was, I was in his mind, probably the plan for his replacement. So I, I probably screwed up his plan, but. But, you know, that overall, happens in business. it happens. Yeah. yeah. And people leave here and it's like, you know, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I was, uh, here and I, I ran, uh, marketing. Um, and then after things were starting to fall apart with McDonald's, you know, rumor hit that they were going to sell all the brands or close them all down. And, and then a lot of our leadership left. You know, they're like, was it because of fear of McDonald's? Just like this is going to fall apart, you know, because McDonald's had way over invested, you know, and everybody. And and if they weren't going to own it or it was going to 
be closed down was the other there potential. You could be hung with a lot of debt. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, it was it, it potentially wouldn't even exist. So I ended up staying, and and this is actually where you know I worked with Jane for she was on the leadership team and I was, and we got to know each other, which you do through work. And then after everybody left, she and I were the two left. And to clarify, Jane is your wife. Jane's my wife, Jane Grody, uh, who's the daughter of Jim Grody. Yeah. Yeah. And she was for the audience. Yes. She was the head of, uh, of our people department and I was head of marketing. And so now our CEO from who was from McDonald's had been fired Jim Grody was actually in conflict because they were looking to, you know, buy it back. Our CFO was trying to tear it apart. So it was, it was one of those things where we looked at each other. He like, wanted to piece it out or what? He had a lot of ideas, but it, it, he was going to piece it out, you know, convert some into, they had some sub concept that they had made up and, and the rest was okay, really that just didn't a, happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. And so we ended up, running the company for six months and um, actually it got to the point where I'm like, she and I put all these org designs together, depending on different scenarios we were high-fiving each other for what great work we did. And I'm looking at them closely afterwards. I go, wait a second, I'm not in a lot of these. <laughs> I should probably go find a job. And I actually ended up, I got, I, I got a job as the CMO for KFC oh. and uh and two days before I was supposed to go down and have dinner with uh, David Novak and Cheryl Batchelder at the time, who was their uh, CEO, um, they let that whole leadership team go. And they called me and said, you're not coming. So think about how life would have changed. So yeah. I ended up staying. Uh, we ended up, the family ended up buying the company back. And so, uh, you know, I I was, I ended up running franchising and then developing the new uh, store design. Um, I helped start, we had, we had a frozen pizza division out of the plant downstairs that started uh, when I, you know. Yeah. Rob was explaining you guys don't do that anymore, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, so we have, you know, we had the dough plant and we had an opportunity, uh, a president, of one of the Kroger regions said, I'd like to do Donato's in Kroger or like, we didn't really know what he meant, but we said, yes, <laughs> Jim and I were in this meeting and we got in the car and we're looking at each other like, how are we going to do this? We ended up developing a take and bake pizza. So uh, you could make the pizza in the Kroger. And eventually we ended up making it at a central location and bringing it to them. And we did, five million dollars in sales first year and it was it was success and then we grew into frozen pizza business and we did a it was a great piece of business we developed a gluten-free line called sonoma flatbreads that was unique to us and um we just never really made a whole lot of money and it's kind of a tough business that's a different industry right it's a different it's industry competitive one super pizza. competitive margins are tight the cost of entry, you know, slotting allowances and all of that, it's it's a high risk, low reward, ultimately kind of business. Now, there's nothing to say we couldn't have turned that into, I, I think it was close to 30 million when we 
ended up pivoting back out of frozen pizza. But um, we didn't make a whole bunch of money, but you know, we didn't lose a whole bunch of money. The main reason was the growth on the restaurant side was looking so good for us. It's like, we probably should just focus on that. So we converted and now we went back to, it's, it's still a dough line and we're investing in dough making equipment versus pizza topping equipment. But it makes a lot of sense again because you you have all this infrastructure you need to supply your restaurants right am i right. understanding this correct that you guys actually supply almost daily to your restaurants or it's two you know two times a week okay. pretty much yeah and we make all the dough here we actually have a for the first time ever we have a, a secondary supplier that's been approved a riches uh who's a you know fantastic family owned company a couple billion dollar uh company but and they'll help us scale. But right now, all of our restaurants are serviced by our dough plant downstairs. Yeah, see, I listen, and Rob was saying you guys are only at, what, 60-something percent capacity at the yeah. moment, so you got plenty of room. Yep, got plenty of room. And we have plans to – we'll start a, a, a capital project this next summer that will uh, improve our capacity down there, capacity and speed and quality and – all the good things. It's a very cool setup. We're, we're proud of the people down there. And a lot of them who work down there came from the restaurants. So they, they understand from being in the restaurants, the importance of the dough, the importance of quality, you know, when there's broken shells, how that can be a challenge or if it's not proofed properly. So we have a, we have certainly have QA systems in place, but we also have people that care that are down there. So so now, how far does Donato's reach go out in the country? So, we're very heavy in Ohio, Pennsylvania, I'm assuming. We're in 28 states Okay. now. So, um, How far west? Well, we're in Red Robin. We're all the way to California, uh, Washington, Portland, gotcha. in the Red Robins. Uh, as ter- in terms of a freestanding, just a, a regular franchise store, we're as far west as Oklahoma City. So okay. we... Uh, we opened a store in Oklahoma City this past year, and the franchise partner who owns that franchise actually used to be the president of Sonic and then was the uh, interim CEO Sonic of Red. Franchise or? No, the company. The, the overall company? Yeah. Okay. And she was the CEO, interim CEO and chairman of the board of Red Robin. That's We met her. Yeah. Through the partnership, she ended up leaving the board of Red Robin. And yeah, I'll let her <laughs> but describe it. But it, basically, she's like, I, I couldn't get Donato's out of my head. And so she said, we'd like to franchise out in Oklahoma, which was that says a lot, right super there. flattering. Yeah. She's a brilliant person, too. I, I might be biased because she. She started as a marketing person and then ended up being CEO. So maybe. yeah, I'm noticing a trend. Marketing <laughs> side, they 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 can work sometimes. <laughs> they don't always work. <laughs> In fact, the bank wasn't so sure when uh, Jim asked me to be CEO. I'm like, really? You're going to have the marketing guy? This is after the recession of 2009. Yeah. Uh, you know, things were not yeah. things were tough, and then. They make the marketing guy the CEO. They Huntington Bank came in the next week. They wanted to meet. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. Have they calmed down? Since? They've, oh yeah. Now actually, I'm joking. They've been. I think we've been with them for 45 years or something. They've been a great partner. Good. Always been a great partner. 
They helped Jim at the very, actually, I say 45 years, but from the beginning, they really helped Jim. From the Do you have any advice again for entrepreneurs on that when it comes to banking? I, I didn't realize how important that was going to be until I started getting down my journey too. I'm with a local community bank, but having that relationship and having somebody there that I can, you know, call right away and they work with me. I think that's, I think that's the, the big part. And, and I think you have a responsibility. You know, we use the word partner a lot here and, and it's not BS. We, you know, we're franchise partners, not franchisees, you know, they're business partners, not vendors. And I think if you treat it like a partnership and, and what I'm saying is I think it, it's important for you to communicate to the bank. That's one thing I would say. And I, I think we do a good job at, at this corporate level, but even on a, a franchise level, like, where are you? What are you worried about? You know, what's your plan? Like have a plan. And I, I think sometimes business people get a relationship with a bank. And then once they've got the loan, then they're, you know, they don't. Oh, I'm sending them Christmas gifts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you're different. <laughs> Not everybody's like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas gifts and we meet regularly and we look over my books together. So you have a good relationship. With, yeah. With yeah. Um, you know, to see, is there a need for capital, you know, where, right. where we're going. And so it helps a lot because mm -hmm. sometimes even if I'm not qualified, they can sometimes, if I need it, right. They'll, yeah. they'll help. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Huntington stuck with us during tough times and, I'm not on the Huntington level. I'm with the national, the, yeah. the, you know, regional bank. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you guys have a little more negotiating power, I'd say, with, you know, the bigger banks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how, how large of a company is Donetta? Or Don what happened? <laughs> dough. Think of dough. Think of dough. Think of dough. What dough you saw yesterday, Donato's. Donato's. Donato's uh, is about a $300 million revenue company. Okay. So, is that, that's system-wide, right? System-wide. That includes uh, that includes sales through Red Robin, franchise company stores. It also includes, uh, we do sell, we still have the brand, we own the brand for Sonoma Flatbreads, the, okay. the, uh, and we license that out. And so it includes that, but yeah, we've, we've doubled in size in the last 10 years. So, That's awesome. Yeah. And, and now. Yeah. With your new distribution, you're, and now you're we're push the B pretty soon. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing I'm really excited about Adam is, um, you know, interestingly before Red Robin came to us, we were looking at how do we leverage our operating system? Because in our, in our restaurants and the way this whole thing works, it is really unique within the industry. Meaning we have a system that is in, in the restaurants that produces a super high volume of high quality uh, pizza consistently with simple training. And what I'm saying is, you know, the dough comes in appreciated. You just, you're, you know, the quality control is there. So you've got a high quality dough that's already been made for Easier you. Easier to maintain because you're taking care of that. Stuff. We're taking care of it. Yeah. You know, it used to be, I used to say our managers used to have to worry about three living organisms, our associates, customers, and yeast. Yeah. Well, now they don't have to worry about the yeast, so they'll do a better job on the other two. <laughs> but um, so we, we take care of that. You can pre-top our pizzas. 
We weigh our toppings on scales. So anybody can make, I can make, you can make a pizza that's exactly to spec because it's weighed out to the hundredth of a pound. We have conveyor ovens that are the time and temperature is unique to the thickness or the amount of toppings. So that whole system, when you, I mean, none of it in its, in and of itself is that sexy, but you put the whole thing together and that's what the engine is that is unique to us. So we were looking at that engine going, well, how do we use that engine in other places? Cause we're not, right. we're in two airport locations. We should be in a hundred, you know, we're not, we need to be in colleges and universities. We need, you know, and then Red Robin says, do you want to do Donato's? And we thought, well, they, there we go. We can take that operating system and in a 250 square foot spot on their line in their kitchen, you've got the ability to produce high quality Donato's pizza. So that was an example of, so now I'm looking at, I don't know what stands in our way because we have the distribution. We have an operating platform that is not only simple, it's getting simpler and simpler. Jim, my father-in-law has a innovation center where he's working on automated equipment that will, uh, Oh God, we should get into the robotics. Yeah. Well, and I, I wouldn't even go as far as to call it robotics. It's, but it, it make, you know, you can sauce a pizza in six seconds instead of 30 seconds. And it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing some things that, so, so you got an engine that is great. And then you can add these components that make it even greater. That's why I think the sky's the limit. That's why I think we're excited that, you know, we'll be a billion dollar company very soon. And that, that's not, we don't need to be a billion dollar company because of the the dollar. We need to be a billion dollar company because we do have a special it brand. The mission. It does. Yeah. It spreads the mission of Donato's and and you know, why not I, I hear too many people come in and say, Boy, the pizza where I am is, you know, not not any good and and I think people What's your toughest market to break in there with pizza? This is gonna be a fun one, right? That's a I would I, I bet Jersey's hard, I bet Chicago's hard, I bet I think I think New York will probably be the hardest. Now we we actually during McDonald's days, we were in Philadelphia and we did we actually did really well. Top line we did really well. Okay. The uh surprise I I mean, I was surprised. I thought, gosh, do we have to go to Philadelphia first? Right. You know, how about Florida? Some of the country's hardest critics. Exactly. And their definition of pizza is not thin crust pizza cut in squares edge to edge. Right. It's It's got a rim. You fold it. Now, we have a hand-tossed product that's excellent, and I think we can compete really well. But you ask me where I, you know, if I had a rank order, I might put it down a little bit lower. Yeah. Now, Chicago, a little different story. It's a little more Midwest. There's... Thin crust pizza cut in squares is is not foreign, uh, and, and that shouldn't we shouldn't be afraid of that anyway. I think sometimes people are looking for new and interesting ideas, and if that's a interesting twist on a super popular product, I I, I just I, I I'm in, a, you know, uh-huh. in your space. Yeah, so I just look at those markets, and they are so saturated with pizza. Yeah, right. so and a lot of them are just, independent, yeah. and and just the real estate costs, and you know we're we're heavily in delivery, so we want to be in locations that are easy to you know, get in and out of. Areas like, Mostly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, there's room for a couple thousand more in the U.S. and, and 
So we've got a great leadership team here. Our president, Kevin King, who's he was with us years ago for 13 years. He came back and he's been leading the team here the last couple of years. Um, He's built a world class team that's uh, we're outgrowing the size of our company with the kind of talent that we have here. So. That's so. awesome. Oh, it is. Those are the best problems. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of, most of the time, the things that hold you back tend to be, you know, do you have the right people in the right spot? And are they it's motivated? All it is. It's 100%. That's all business is. Yeah. So the, we talked about the money part of it, right? But right. the money's your, you know, that's your fuel, but nothing gets done in the company if you don't have the right people in the right places. That's exactly right. It, it, it's a hundred. That's all a business is period. Yeah. Yeah. Full stop. Right. You got to have a good product and everything, but the people make that happen. No, so. you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, keeping the culture of this company strong as we grow is, is, you know, that's probably the top priority. Cause I think, like I said, the other, the things that, you know, generally hold companies back from growing. I, I think we're, we've dealt with those. The franchise partner can make a good living with Donato. So the economic model for a franchise is good. The product is high quality. The culture is something that people are interested in. You know, a lot of times there are a lot of people who are leaving jobs because they're just, they're disenchanted with, you know, where they are. If you want a franchise and you can be a part of something in your community that you can make an impact, you know, that's rewarding. That that goes beyond just a paycheck. It's uh, making an impact. There's a huge movement to this too, right? Yeah, I agree. Everybody's getting out of the, you know, the corporate America job. The, well, companies didn't take care of their people. Uh, that's that's right. really what it boils down to is, you know, the pension plans are gone. Uh, yeah. The 401k programs are, in my opinion, kind of a joke. Um, there's some money there for people to retire with, but with inflation and everything, it's not gonna it's not gonna really give them a comfortable retirement. Well, that's why I think franchising is. I mean, franchising is the best model to achieve the American dream. Yeah, you know, it allows people to bring their gifts. While reducing the risk, mm-hmm. you know, we've reduced the risk. You don't have to figure out this operating platform. You don't have to figure out all these other things. They've been proven. You know, it's not fly by night. We've been around, but you bring your energy to it. And, you know, I, I, I know there are a lot of groups that want to attack franchising, but they're, they're, they're looking at a couple of small situations. And if you look at the big picture, the big picture is we're, we're providing more opportunity than I think any other business well, can. For sure. You know? I, I think that's a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, franchising in and of itself solves it. somebody going into business for the first time. doesn't matter what position they held in a company, right? They, even if they're an executive uh, trying to build at ground level, it, it, you're going to spend decades doing that. Exactly. And this gives you just a shortcut to the front of the line. Right. And increases the, your success rate by, Shit, like, what is it? The uh, massive amounts. Yeah, I know ninety six percent of businesses fail in ten years or something like right. that. Right. But with franchising, it's like forty. Something. Yeah, I mean, we've been around sixty years. We're yeah. not going away. No, you know, we're going to keep optimizing it too, so that you know. I mean, you and I were actually in D.C. What three three months? Ago yeah, now? a few months ago. So 
we'll throw this out there for the listeners. If you haven't written Congress yet to support um, nullifying the NLRB's uh, forthcoming rule on joint employer, please write your senators, your Congress people, and um, that tell them to stop this rule from taking place. It's been delayed currently to February. Is that February, right? yeah. yeah. So uh, right now they've got it on hold. It was supposed to take place this month, but it's on hold till February. But there's still time to stop it from taking place. Uh, I encourage everybody to learn more about it. So I don't want to take our whole episode. No, no, I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah. You said it better than I would have said it. Uh, it's but it's so important. It's it's important. It's it. I think, and it's like we were saying. I think this is the sweet spot for where people want to be. They want to more and more. They want to take care of their their own livelihood, but we also don't want them to fail. Well, know, what's so. a better opportunity? I mean, so you know, let's, you're in corporate America, you're working middle management. Um, you've got a 401k that, you know, has a few hundred thousand dollars in it. You can stick down that road and you can go through and, you know, go all the way to the retirement and you're going to kind of struggle through retirement, or you can jump, go into your own venture, take a risk with it, cash out that 401k, uh, buy a franchise and literally give it five years or so. You can exit where you're completely comfortable and leaving something behind for your family. So we have uh, we have one gentleman who started as a 15 year old kid making pizzas in one of our company stores. He owns a multi million dollar franchise just outside of uh, town here. We've got. I mean, we have. Example after example of young people who learn the value of business and then were given an opportunity to get a piece of the action and be able to grow and provide for their families. So, so this, this is going to be me selfishly taking some of this time for myself because that's something I'm trying to work on in mind. We don't know how we're going to do this yet, but I want a transitionary path for somebody to be a technician, either at a franchise location or in my corporate location and being able to transition into franchising. Do you have any pointers on how you structure that? Because they're generally not financially qualified right away, right? What, what you may want to do is, is just kind of ease into it. Think about giving them uh, you know, a piece of ownership. You, you either would fund them or you'd, you'd find them. Uh, funding and and you'd maybe back them or sign on the loan if you really believe in them, right? And you 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 show them your support by signing or or being becoming a partner with them, and then slowly allow them to kind of build and and earn uh, more equity in the business, and then eventually, and maybe you keep some of the equity too, and you can you know benefit together but you you move at the speed at which you think they can move that's because you also don't want to risk the business or put them in a situation that they can't succeed so i'd figure out a way to find some sort of uh partnership is that what you guys did like in your example we've done that we've we have different versions of that we probably less now than back earlier in the day where it was a little riskier um, but it's hard. I'm early stage, right? You're early so it's, stage. It's hard for me, but we did do it early stage. You know, yeah. we had a, we had a couple of programs that were more like uh, operating uh partner in a sense. Now they carried the, they held the debt. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, sure. to do it, but I'll pick your brain more off. Yeah, sure. Sure. 
So music, I, I promised I would bring up and we got the guitars behind you and everything. I had no idea about this until we got out here. That oh. You are in a bluegrass group? Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a bluegrass, uh, one of the founders of a bluegrass band. We call it Grassanine. Okay. We take cover, we, we, uh, we have bluegrass instrumentation and then we cover songs that were never intended to be bluegrass. So that's, that's where the asinine part so comes in. A demo I can have, I can, I can uh, put Sure. It yeah. yeah. I've got, I got a CD right over there somewhere. Okay. Um, but yeah, music's been a part of what I've done forever. I, I've got another, I, I do some solo stuff too. I've released a couple of songs. I'm working on an album right now. So do you have them? Uh, like I put them out on streaming. Or? Yeah. 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 I've got, I've got a couple of songs, uh, one song I wrote with my son when he was eight years old. Talk about entrepreneurs. He had an entrepreneurial idea for a hot dog business that would involve gourmet toppings that were thematic to different holidays over the years. So you'd have you'd have like uh, Thanksgiving. You'd have a turkey dog with mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, okay. You know, uh, St. Patty's Day would have the bright green relish. This was his you know, eight year old idea. Actually, I think it's a pretty good idea. Yeah. So I start calling him the hot dog boy. So anyway, I wrote a song called Hot Dog Boy, which uh, has apparently been picked up by our minor league baseball team, and they play it every home game during the hot dog race. They play my song with the words, you know, the bouncing yeah. ball and the words and the thing. So if you give me copies, you got to give me a verbal confirmation on camera that I can use it. So you, yes, you can use it. Just you know, pay me fifty percent of all of your wealth in the future, uh, forever. No, okay. We'll cut the end. We'll okay, the end. no, no, no. Yeah, no. You can you can have it, use it, okay. and play it. All right. You have my permission. Okay, but yeah. Now I've I've uh, been involved in music for a long time. I'm uh, helped. Along with three other people, start the Columbus Music Commission, which is a nonprofit that is designed to help young musicians elevate their craft. Not not necessarily young, but people at different stages, and then also get Columbus uh, the reputation that it deserves to be a music city because there's some incredible musicians in this town. And you know, the band Camp came out of. Columbus. The band Twenty One Pilots came out of Columbus. Rascal Flats came out of Columbus. I, I knew none of this. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, those two guitars that's signed by Rascal Flats and that's Twenty One Pilots. Hell yeah! But uh, so anyway, me, and, and you know, music. Um, I think there's a lot you can learn about business leadership by music and and you know the writing of music, communications. You know, I think about. Uh, you know, as an organization, the bigger you get, sometimes you want to change your communications or your theme or your mission statement. It's like, you know, yeah, this is important now. Oh, now this is important. Oh, now this is important. But yeah, but don't forget this. And I think about great songs that are popular. I read a study one time USC did that. They found that the more often you repeated the chorus mm-hmm. in a song, it had a fifteen percent chance, greater chance of rising in the charts. So, like, it sticks, right? It sticks. It's not repetitive. It's repetitive and it's simple. And so, I take repetitive and simple, and I say, that's one thing I think organizations struggle with. They tend to they either don't repeat it because here's they think, the policy. Here it is. Around. Yeah. Good luck. 
you know, in fact, uh, Jane and I were talking yesterday. She's like, you know, we got to reinforce the our dose standards because we haven't talked about that in a while. I mean, even I get reminded by it. it's like, well, yeah, well, you're right. So, and we need to be simple in, in our messaging. You know, take the complex and make it simple because people that work for us or work in our franchises, they're busy in their lives. They don't need to try to figure out what the heck you're talking about. So, anyway, I can go on and on, but well, you mu- use acronyms and stuff too. That's kind of the point, of, right? Right. You know, but but uh, you know, music is you know can generate energy. Music can you know uh, create simple messaging, and so I know I'm fascinated is by it therapy how, too. In a way, for yeah, me personally, release. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I used to play mediocre golf every weekend, and I was frustrated. I play mediocre music on the weekends, and I'm not frustrated anymore. Golf is a very frustrating sport. <laughs> it is. It's horrible, too, depending on who you're playing with, right? <laughs> you end up playing with uh, people that are, you know, make, having fun with it. It's fine. Yeah. But then you get that one person, that one guy that's throwing his clubs and, you know, having a temper tantrum, and it just ruins the day. Yeah. You don't, you see a lot of, a lot of smiles on stage when you're playing music or you play music with other people too. It's, it's, it's really pretty cool. Do you still like uh, play live out? Yeah. Do you, I know you did covers and stuff for a while. Yeah, no, we, we play, um, for a while there, we were playing probably a couple, couple times a month. So 12 to 15 times a year. We, we, most of the people in the band have other jobs. So we, take all of our proceeds and give it back to charity. We've done that for years. We've given back probably $150,000 back into charities in Columbus. So That's awesome. it's, it's a, it's fun, you know, music, people come out to have a good time. So we have a lot of fun with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm goofy on stage. It's you not should play at one of the IFA. Events. Uh, there's been some talk. Yeah, actually. Yeah. The, the, the IFA all-stars uh, band is talking about getting back together. So, okay. yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> Breaking news. So I think that's pretty much a wrap for the show. Um, awesome. I, I think at this point, if you just want to share where anybody could find information about you or if they want to learn more about Donettos, Donettos, I had to do it again. The look what are we going to do with him? Donatos. 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 Think dough and then think not. <laughs> not what you've been saying before. So Donatos. Anyway, go ahead. Seriously, it was like my biggest that fear so coming fun. into this thing. And I just, I completely. You'll, just, as they say, that. you'll fix it in post production. Not this one. I did it two <laughs> times. <laughs> it's all right. So it gives, it's close it, enough. Yeah, it gives character. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you want me to just yeah, yeah wherever you wherever you'd like? Uh, no, well, listen, I, I enjoyed talking to you. I think I think what you're doing is great. I hope you get many, many, many viewers, listeners, that kind of a thing. As far as for me, you can find us at www.donatos.com. Um, I write a, a weekly uh, little thing on LinkedIn every Wednesday called the Corner Piece. Our piece, our pizzas are cut in yeah. square, so there's something called the Corner Piece, which is just uh, some philosophical little nuggets about uh, leadership that hopefully people would find interesting. And then uh, our band is Grass Nine. You can hear our music or you can hear my music on uh, Tom Krause on all uh, streaming platforms. But 
loved uh, talking to you and I appreciate it. Awesome. Should they just follow you on LinkedIn individually or? Yeah, just me. Okay, great. Thank you everybody for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. I'm Refreshman, and I'm here to empower you to take charge of your destiny. Are you tired of working for someone else? Do you dream of making a difference in your community and unleashing your full potential? Then look no further than Refresh Franchising. With us by your side, you can start your own heroic business venture with the unwavering support and cutting-edge resources you need to conquer your goals. Our franchise model is like a super serum that will give you the strength to succeed. Refresh provides extensive training, ongoing mentorship, and an established brand with a loyal customer base. Plus, you'll become part of a heroic league of entrepreneurs who serve as allies on your journey towards greatness. And the best part... You won't have to waste time building your business from scratch like some kind of neophyte. With Refresh Franchising, you'll hit the ground running at lightning speed and unlock the key to heroic financial success. So gather your courage, summon your inner superhero, and visit RefreshFranchising.com to launch your heroic franchise journey. Always remember, together, we can achieve greatness.